Welcome to episode 11 of the Fasting Well podcast. Today I'll be going through several questions, kind of rapid fire. Most of these are questions that you've sent me previously, either through email or through some other kind of message or something like that. So I may or may not state the whole question the way that you did, I might kind of paraphrase it, but then I'll give kind of a brief answer. I'll try to be concise. And obviously I can't go into a ton of detail on all these things or this would this episode would end up lasting five hours. So what I'll do is I'll give kind of the short answer to each of these questions. And in many cases, I've already written a blog post on the same topic, in which case I might mention that and put it in the show notes. And in other cases, I'm planning to talk about these same topics in other podcast episodes, or maybe I already did, as is the case with a few of these questions. So hopefully it'll be helpful. Hopefully it will give you some useful information. And I'll do this again sometime in the future. So if you have questions, kind of write them down or send them to me or, or just save them until I send out a new request. All right, let's go ahead and get into some of the questions. So remember, this is kind of rapid fire, not going into too much detail. So a common question is, what are the benefits of fasting? Or in other words, why should you even consider it or do it? I talked about a bunch of benefits of intermittent fasting, short-term fasting, also called time-restricted eating. I believe that was in episode three of my podcast. So if you want to get into some of the benefits, you can go listen to that. But in general, when you give your body a break from food, a lot of good things happen. Some of those good things involve smoothing out your blood sugar levels and your insulin levels. makes it easier for you to reduce body fat or lose weight. It makes you less likely to get various chronic illnesses, chronic diseases like heart disease or having a stroke. Just as a general rule, when you take food away at times, it kind of puts your body into a mode of regeneration and healing and helps prevent a lot of disease processes and makes you healthier. Another common question is, will fasting wreck my metabolism? Now, this one seems to be related to a lot of myths and a lot of bad advice that we've gotten over the past few decades about needing to eat around the clock. And I actually mentioned that in episode eight, where I went through eight common health myths. And some of these other questions will be related to some of those myths as well. But some people think that their metabolism is going to crash if they stop eating. So there's been bad advice from the medical establishment and from the media about this, saying you need to eat all the time, you need to eat small frequent meals. And basically, that's bad advice. For many, many, many years, humans have been fasting regularly, and our bodies have adapted to be able to handle that, and they know how to handle it. So basically, the short answer is no, fasting will not wreck your metabolism. What will wreck your metabolism is if you consistently do a calorie restriction diet. If you consistently cut calories day after day after day, then your body will adapt to that after a while, and that will wreck your metabolism. So I've gotten a lot of questions about extended fasting, and I haven't talked much about extended fasting on my blog or my podcast, and that's because for most people, when they're a beginner, that's not really the first step or the second step or the third step if you're just trying to improve your health and maybe lose some weight. Now, some people dive right into it and do fine, but for most people, it's a little too intimidating and a little too much to take on from the very beginning. So I would generally say do some other things first. Focus on eating unprocessed food, real food, whole foods. And I talked a lot about that in episode seven of my podcast. So go back and listen to that if you haven't already, because that's that's kind of the very first step for improving your health. And then the first step for fasting is to cut out snacking, which I talked about in episode four. 
But let's talk just a little bit about extended fasting. So I generally define extended fasting as 24 hours or more, and then I contrast that with intermittent fasting. Some people use slightly different definitions, so keep an eye out for that. So I've gotten questions, for example, about what is the difference between a strict fast and a dirty fast, or a strict fast and a modified fast. So basically strict fasting is where you just drink water and maybe salt, have some salt, you know, eat a little salt on a spoon or or just pour it in your mouth or mix it with your water or whatever. So that's your pretty strict extended fasting or water fasting, as it's sometimes called. But if you were to do a modified or dirty fast, that just means you're including a few other supplements and things to make fasting easier, to make it a little more smooth, a little easier to do. So what are the pros and cons? Well, obviously, you would tend to think you would get more health benefits from doing strict fasting. And that's true to a degree. But the big benefit of doing the modified or dirty, dirty, so-called dirty fasting is that it's easier to do. You're more likely to actually do it. And so you might be more likely to actually get the health benefits because you're actually doing it. So when I say including some supplements, what are we talking about? Well, some really common things would be dill pickles, chia seeds, like you put some in a bowl, mix them with water, maybe add some salt to that as well. Bone broth is popular, but you can use other types of broth. I prefer veggie broth because it doesn't have a bunch of protein in it. It's just mainly has salt and like one gram of carbohydrates per serving. So I'll get more into that in another episode, but just know that there are various things you can add to your fast, to your prolonged fast or your short fast, that make it easier and don't really disrupt your fast that much. But if you want to really get the maximum, maximum benefits from fasting, you can do strict fasting. The caveat is that you're going to probably have a little bit more difficult time, and so you might be less likely to actually get through it. So I think if you're a beginner, it's better to do a modified fast or a so-called dirty fast and have some supplements. So that segues nicely into the next question. So a few people have asked about, what if I start to feel weak or hungry during a fast? And what if I feel like I can't focus, my brain's not working, things like that. So this could apply to short-term daily fasting, but it's a little more likely to apply to prolonged fasting. So basically what I would say is if you feel weak or hungry or you're having a hard time is scale back, do less, start more slowly, start more gradually. So as I mentioned previously, a few minutes ago, the very first step for improving your health should probably be cutting out some of the processed foods and replacing them with unprocessed foods. So do that before you even worry about all this prolonged fasting and things like that, because that's going to already help you on your health journey, whether it's smoothing out your blood sugar or losing weight or whatever it is you're trying to do. Do that for a while. Do that for a couple months. There's really no rush. And then after you've done that for a while, mix in some short fasts. And so if you're doing some fasting and and you've already made some of these other changes and you're doing some fasting and you start to feel really lightheaded or you feel kind of weak or you feel really hungry, basically you have a couple options. You could either just stop your fast and eat something, or you can try a couple other little supplements or things like that. So the number one thing that helps when you're fasting is salt. People don't seem to take this seriously, no matter how many times I say it, they don't believe me, but you need more salt. 
So whenever you're having any symptoms during fasting, the number one answer that's going to take care of it probably more than half of the time is to get more salt and some other electrolytes, but the other ones that matter are magnesium and potassium. So you don't need to worry about a bunch of other electrolytes like calcium, for example. Probably doesn't matter at all. But the magnesium and the potassium are worthwhile. But the number one is salt, and salt is synonymous with sodium. So salt and sodium will take care of many things. They will take care of dizziness, and they'll often take care of feeling weak and and other issues. So try salt first. How do you get salt? You get it from bullion cubes. You get it by eating the salt. You get it from soy sauce. There's lots of things that are really high in sodium without having much else in them, without having much in the way of carbs or calories. But what if salt's not enough? What if salt and electrolytes are not enough? Well, that's when you use these other training wheels, these other things that are part of modified or dirty fasting. Things like have a a bowl of chia seeds. A bowl of chia seeds will take care of a lot of things because it'll give you just enough of a little energy boost, a little boost to your blood sugar, just enough without really throwing you out of your fast completely, and then you can carry on for a while. Another option would be bone broth. That's where bone broth does come in. It's more like a training wheel as opposed to something you want to use all the time because it has quite a bit of protein. So it kind of sort of does break your fast, but it doesn't matter. If we're talking about a modified fast, you can drink some bone broth and keep going, and it's better than not doing it at all, which is often the alternative for most people. So basically, if you're feeling weak, you're feeling hungry, get some electrolytes. Electrolytes are the answer 75% of the time. Salt is the most important one. And then also consider some of these training wheels to kind of help guide you through. But before you do any of that, just scale back and approach it more slowly, more gradually, and focus first on eating unprocessed foods. So a closely related question, people often ask, what can I drink when I'm fasting? So there's a few things that are common and work pretty well. So water, of course, unless you're doing so-called dry fasting, which I don't usually recommend. You can also drink coffee and tea, obviously without adding sugar. Don't add any sugar, and try to avoid sweeteners if you can, because they'll often stimulate cravings and make it more difficult for you to keep fasting. And then beyond water and coffee and tea, there's seltzer water. If you like the carbonation, that can be kind of a fun fun way to break things up. Of course, that can also stimulate cravings sometimes, so just be cautious about that. And then lots of salty things, so ways to get extra salt. So it's kind of a win-win. It can be kind of fun to drink certain salty things, and then it helps you feel better and function better when you're fasting. And that could include bullion, so whether it's a bullion cube that you dissolve in water or just some sort of powder bullion or something that you mix with water. Or you could mix some soy sauce in with some water, so that may, that's one way to kind of mix up a salty drink. Um, A lot of these things, they don't necessarily taste good per se. You wouldn't go out of your way to drink this stuff, but it doesn't necessarily taste bad either. And it's a really good option when you're fasting. So pickle juice, anything with vinegar can be good um, because vinegar kind of helps satisfy some cravings and it kind of smooths out your blood sugar and has some other benefits. Plus pickles have extra salt. So those are some of the things you would want to drink when you're fasting. Try to avoid anything with significant amounts of sugar or other sweeteners, because any sweetener is kind of risky, especially the ones like aspartame and sucralose, which are particularly common in diet soda and other processed foods where they're trying to kind of replace the sugar with sweeteners. But even one like stevia or monk fruit, which are probably healthier, it could still throw you off when you're fasting. It could still make you crave something or just get hungrier. 
So you want to be really careful with any sweeteners. So I've gotten various questions about how to break a prolonged fast. What should you do at the end of the fast? Well, there's an old adage about, actually about prescribing medications to elderly people. And they say, start low and go slow. I'll bet that saying's in other fields as well. But when it comes to those prescriptions, they say, start low and go slow. And so that's basically what you want to do when you break a long fast. Start small and go slow. It doesn't rhyme, but, you know, same idea. (laughs) So you want to start small and go slowly. And that's basically, that basically tells you everything you need to know. Except you also want to avoid a lot of carbs, especially processed carbs, when you first break your fast. And that's because your body kind of forgets how to to digest and utilize carbohydrates during a prolonged fast. Because it doesn't need to process any carbs, right? So it kind of you know, says, we don't need those enzymes, we don't need to have those processes active. So it kind of stops being able to metabolize carbohydrates. So the first 24 hours, you don't want to overdo the carbohydrates. So low carb, small, go slowly. So for example, I would eat a handful of nuts. I know some people say not to do nuts, but it's worked great for me. So a small handful of nuts, like pecans or macadamia nuts, and then wait at least an hour maybe two hours, and then have something else just a little bit bigger. Maybe a salad, for example. So there's a million examples, but basically low-carb, small, wait a while, wait a couple hours. If you do too much too fast, you're going to get a stomach ache, and it's not that pleasant. (laughs) It's not usually the end of the world. but So when I've broken long fasts, many times I've had that small meal, waited like an hour, and then had something a little bigger. Honestly, I usually overdo it a little bit because it doesn't take much to kind of give you a stomach ache after a long fast. So that's why if you want to avoid the stomach ache, you got to just be patient. You got to be patient and wait a few hours in between. All right, so people often ask what breaks a fast, what's going to... So the word break is really ambiguous, right? Uh, but what's going to kind of kick you out of the fast or make it so you don't get the benefits or all these different possible interpretations. So. The answer is, it depends, but that's within reason. So obviously, if you're eating a bunch of food, a bun- like a piece of bread, um, then yes, you've broken your fast. Um, or anything really substantial, really large, or anything with a significant amount of carbohydrates, particularly processed carbohydrates or sugar. So let's just say five grams. Anything with more than like five grams of processed carbs or some kind of sugar, then, then probably you've quote-unquote broken your fast. But does it really matter? Because what's the point? The point is you're trying to get some sort of health benefit. Um, but the reason that you know having a, a lot of carbs kicks you out of your fast is because it's going to spike your blood sugar and spike your insulin. So you want to basically avoid anything that spikes your blood sugar and, or spikes your insulin. So that's usually more than just a few grams of any sort of refined or processed, quickly metabolized carbohydrate. So people ask, for example, about, oh, will my electrolyte supplement cause a problem? Well, probably not, unless they added sugar to it or a significant amount of sweetener that might make you crave stuff. What about coffee and tea? Basically, no problem unless you're adding sugars or a lot of sweeteners. Um, What if you put a whole bunch of butter or coconut oil in your coffee? Or in other words, you drink bulletproof coffee, also called keto coffee. Well, It depends on what your goals are, because you can still keep your ketones high and still be getting a lot of the benefits of fasting when you do that, but you probably won't burn quite as much body fat because you just consumed 500 calories of fat, right? So now you have a bunch of energy coming in, so your body knows it doesn't need to use quite as much of its own body fat. 
So those are just a few examples. What about vitamins, medications? Vitamins are usually fine. Uh, Most people don't need vitamins when they're fasting, but it's not really a big deal if you do take them. What about medications? Well, you can usually keep taking them. Some medications have some added sugar, especially these liquids like the kids take, you know, that are really sweet liquids. So then that might be a problem. And then some medications you would need to be really careful with, especially those for diabetes and high blood pressure, because if you're not eating anything, but then you're taking these medications that force your blood sugar to go down, then that could cause you to have low blood sugar. It's very, very rare for people to get low blood sugar, significantly low blood sugar, without a medication causing it. But if you are taking a medication that forces your blood sugar down, then yeah, that could be a problem. That could actually be life-threatening. So that's the general idea about what breaks a fast. But overall, it depends on your goals. Unless you're just going completely crazy, then. (laughs) But if you're being reasonable, then it depends on your goals, depends on how strict you want to be, and that depends on exactly what you're going for with fasting. I got a question about ghrelin and how it works and whether it's related to anxiety or sleep. And basically how it works is this. It's the so-called hunger hormone. It gets high at times when you're accustomed to eating. You can kind of retrain your body so if you start eating at different times, you'll gradually start to get hungry at the times when you're accustomed to eating and vice versa. So if you're using if um if you're accustomed to eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, ghrelin kind of goes up right before the times when you normally eat those meals. But if you stop eating breakfast, then after a while, ghrelin won't go up as much at that time of day. And in general, ghrelin is inverse, has an inverse relationship to cortisol. Cortisol is the long-term stress hormone. And when cortisol is highest is first thing in the morning. And so ghrelin would tend to be fairly low in the morning, which is why I've stated that it's not really natural, quote unquote, to eat breakfast, but it's something we've trained ourselves to do. And whether ghrelin's related to sleep and anxiety in general, I don't really think so, but I'm not an expert on this. I'd have to look into it a little bit more. But one thing I do know is that if you don't get enough sleep, studies have shown that you'll you'll tend to select less healthy food. You'll tend to select processed junk food more often if you haven't gotten enough sleep. And I think the same thing's kind of true if you're stressed out in general, you know, like stress eating and things like that. But I don't think that that's really related to ghrelin. I just think it's related more to the general state of mind and stress levels and things of that nature. I've gotten some questions about exogenous ketones. Exogenous means outside the body, right? So exogenous ketones are ketone supplements. So when you fast, your body starts making ketones. Ketones are made out of fat. They can be made out of your body fat in your liver. And so ketones become the main energy source for your brain during a prolonged fast. Or if you're on a ketogenic diet, then of course, because you're eating very high fat, low carb, then your body goes into this slightly different metabolic mode where it's making a lot of ketones and using a lot of fatty acids as energy instead of just using carbs. So what about taking a ketone supplement? Well, basically, ketone supplements are very new. They just came on the market very recently. Until a couple years ago, they were were expensive, they were hard to get your hands on, and they tasted terrible. Now, I had for the longest time, I never tried a ketone supplement. I only very recently tried one for the first time. I thought, eh, it's kind of cool. I didn't notice anything too amazing, but I also was doing kind of low doses because it had some caffeine mixed in, and so I didn't want to overdo the caffeine. So I'll keep trying it. I'll keep seeing what I, what I think. But in general, ketones have various benefits. They can help you control your hunger. 
They can boost your energy levels. And so ketones make a lot of sense as a bridge during the first day or two of a prolonged fast. They also make a lot of sense as a potential training wheel, so to speak, or something to use during a modified fast. So it's basically something you'd want to experiment with, either just taking some kind of preventatively to see, you know, try to feel better or whatever when you're fasting, or you could wait until you feel hungry and then just take some, um, take a ketone supplement and see if it helps control your hunger. Um, and, and yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So I don't see any reason not to try it. Of course, like I said, it's very new. So there might be some new information that comes out down the road about the risks and benefits of using ketone supplements. And like any supplement, the whole supplement industry is very poorly regulated. There's often contaminants and harmful things in supplements. So I'd say, you know, don't use supplements unless you need them. But ketones are an interesting one that could be pretty beneficial. Try to get them from a reputable company ideally something that's third-party tested for purity. So naturally, as you might expect, I get a lot of questions about weight loss. A lot of people are like, oh, I've been doing this for a bit, and then I plateaued. Or, oh, I have 50 pounds to lose, and how, how can I do that? Or what are some other ones? Oh, yeah, there's a question about OMAD, one meal a day, whether that's good for weight loss. So there's a bunch of questions related to weight loss, because, of course, that is a common reason why people get interested in fasting. So I've written a couple blog posts that really walk you through it in detail, explain why fasting does work well for weight loss, and then explain exactly step-by-step what to do if you want to lose weight with fasting. Now, I know most people's attention span is not long enough these days to read a whole blog post, but I will put those links in the show notes in case you want to check that out. But let me just give you a few quick pointers about what to do if you're trying to lose weight with fasting, or in other words, to reduce your body fat, to, to lose fat as opposed to just weight. Basically, here's what you want to do. Step one is the same as it was for improving your health in general, and that is to switch, start shifting from some of the processed foods to more of the unprocessed foods. So what do I mean by processed foods? Well, anything that's been ground up in a factory, crushed up in a factory, what do I mean by unprocessed foods, well, anything that comes in its relatively whole form and that your ancestors would recognize, your ancestors from 200 years ago or 500 years ago, if they would recognize it. Because if it comes in a box or it comes in some kind of weird package, most likely they would not recognize it. And that's a bad sign that it's probably very processed and probably not good for you. So if you start shifting from processed foods, like white bread, like any sort of sweets, like basically anything that comes in a box with a barcode, to the unprocessed foods like vegetables, fruits, meat, fish, poultry, whole fat dairy, nuts, legumes. Those are examples of unprocessed foods. And if you do that, if you're significantly overweight and you do that, you're probably going to start trending in the right direction pretty fast. So do that for a month or two or three and kind of just get used to doing that. And that's going to make fasting easier. So you're naturally not going to want to eat quite as often because you won't have as many blood sugar spikes that stimulate cravings and things like that. So then you would want to cut out snacks and just focus on having nice regular meals that are very satisfying, high in protein, high in healthy fats. And then you would want to slowly, gradually work your way along and start doing some time-restricted eating. And then after a while, do a 24-hour fast once or twice a week, and then maybe turn that up to a 36-hour fast once or twice a week. So that's the progression. 
that's the healthy, gradual way to do it, where it's going to be pretty easy because you'll give your body and your mind some time to adapt at each step. So each step you do for about a month before you move on to the next step, or for a couple months. But if you try to do everything really quickly, then you're probably just, it's going to be too difficult and you're not really going to make it, so to speak. You're probably going to give up and just get frustrated. So that's kind of the, the scoop on weight loss. And in general, you don't want to cut calories or restrict calories because when you cut calories, then after a while, your metabolism slows down. So it's better to feast when you're eating, feast on healthy foods. Not, I'm, I don't mean feast on a bunch of junk food, <laughs> but to feast when you're eating and fast when you're fasting. So you have the feasting and fasting that kind of go hand in hand or alternating periods of each. And then if you hit a plateau, don't be in too big of a rush to break through it. It's okay. Your body might just be kind of slowly adapting to something new. But after a while, if you hit a plateau, then you'd want to try a longer fast. So if you've only been doing 8 hours, 10 hours, 12 hours of fasting on the short-term daily fasting, then you could try doing 20 hours or 24 hours. But you don't need to go all the way from 0 to 60, just you know whatever the next step is. And then if you've done 24 hours, try 36 hours or 48 hours. And then after a while, you can try a few days. So this is after you've gotten a lot of experience, a lot of practice. So it's a very gradual thing. There's no need to rush with weight loss. It might have taken you several years to gain the weight. So it doesn't. it's not like you need to lose it in two weeks or a month. There's no problem if it takes six months or a year. That's really not, It might be a problem if you're trying to have the beach body in the summer or something. But it's not a problem for your health, and it's healthier to take things gradually and let your body kind of adapt a little bit as you go along. So I guess that's all I'm going to say about weight loss for today, because, you know, we could talk about that forever ad nauseum. (laughs) But I'll definitely do some episodes that are kind of more focused on that in the future. A lot of people ask about what to eat when they're not fasting. It's like, okay, everybody talks about fasting, but what do I eat when I'm not fasting? Well, basically, I I think I already answered that. So try to shift towards unprocessed foods. Include lots of healthy fats, lots of protein. And the most bioavailable sources of protein are your meat, fish, poultry, and eggs. And some plant sources that are pretty decent are nuts and legumes, but they're not as good as the animal sources because you can't absorb them as well. Um, So there are various disadvantages. So what about healthy fats? So I got a question that says, I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around good fats. I've always tried to avoid fats because of the calories and cholesterol. So first of all, that's a health myth. It's a health myth that fats will make you fat, and it's a health myth that fat or cholesterol in general will cause you to have heart disease or, or other problems. And I talked about that quite a bit in episode 8 when I was breaking down various health myths. And then Brian Sanders and I, in, our, in the interview I did with him in episode 9, talked about that at length. So if you want to learn more about that topic, please go back and listen to those episodes. But what are some healthy fats? And what are some unhealthy fats? Well, basically, healthy fats, as a rule of thumb, it's anything that's unprocessed. That's as a rule of thumb. So if it's unprocessed, it's probably healthy. So what's unprocessed? Well, if it comes as part of a whole food, such as an avocado, or an olive, or some kind of nuts, for example. And similarly, certain types of oil that come from these same foods, as long as they're not over-processed or over-refined. And that's where your 
relatively unrefined oils come in, like extra virgin olive oil and virgin coconut oil. That's just a terminology thing. I don't think they use the phrase extra virgin for coconut oil. And even butter, as crazy as that sounds to some people, I know, but butter should be included on a list of healthy fats because saturated fat is not bad for you in most cases. Or meat, fish, poultry, and eggs. So those are relatively unprocessed as a hopefully as a general rule. So the fat itself is fairly unprocessed. Of course, there are processed versions of some of those things like the highly processed meats, which are not your best bet if you're trying to eat healthy fats, but they're also not the worst thing you could be having. So what are some unhealthy fats? Well, as again, as a rule of thumb, it would make sense that if the unprocessed ones are healthy, then the processed ones are unhealthy. <laughs> so what are examples of very processed types of fat? Well, we eat them all the time. We eat them every day. They're everywhere. And these are the vegetable oils and seed oils that either are sold as like vegetable oil, canola oil, corn oil, or they're used as ingredients in packaged products. For example, if you buy any salad dressing at the store, almost 100% of the time it either has soybean oil or canola oil in it which is highly processed in almost every case. So these vegetable oils are made at a high heat. The fatty acids become oxidized. They use solvents, uh, in other words, weird chemicals that they don't have to list as one of the ingredients. And then some other toxic chemicals are produced when they're heated. Um, And then to make matters worse, most of the stuff that's fried at a restaurant is fried in these vegetable oils, which are already kind of toxic and overprocessed, but then they heat them and heat them again and heat them again and it produces more and more toxic, harmful chemicals. So those are your processed fats. They're also really common in the bakery, so they'll use hydrogenated oils. So hydrogenation is another chemical process where they heat something up and kind of put this extra hydrogen in there to try to, I don't know, it's chemistry, whatever, but to turn the double bonds into single bonds. Um, And ultimately, that's one of the main ways that trans fat is produced. You've probably heard of trans fat. So There's a tiny bit of trans fat in nature, but there's a lot of trans fat in certain types of processed foods, especially in the bakery. So if you buy anything in the bakery, then the type of fat that is used is often very unhealthy. So that's a general rundown of healthy versus unhealthy fats. So I see that this episode is getting a little longer than I had kind of intended. So I'll have to be really quick on just a few of these other questions. So one question I get sometimes is, should everyone be eating low carb? And the answer is no. I talked about this a little bit in episode 8. It was the 8th myth that I discussed, which is that carbs are essential. That's a myth. But if you're healthy, if you're doing well with what you're eating, then carry on. You know, In other words, if your body can tolerate things like bread and pasta, then maybe it's okay to just continue. But most, people, most people's bodies don't tolerate bread and pasta very well because of the types of processed foods that we've been eating for many years. So our bodies are damaged, and they don't handle things very well. And if you have prediabetes or diabetes, that means you're, you're in an, an advanced state of damage to your metabolism. And so it makes a lot of sense to take away the thing that's been harming you the most. That's the processed foods. But in particular, it's the processed carbs, the flour, the sugar, or potato products, etc. Anything that's a sort of processed carbohydrate. So those things will spike your blood sugar. They'll spike your insulin. They'll cause you to have excessively high blood sugar and insulin over time. And so if you have prediabetes or diabetes, 
or if you're even slightly, ever so slightly, on your way to having those things trending that direction, then it makes a lot of sense to take a break from carbohydrates for at least a few months, maybe longer. So that's kind of the the lowdown on whether everyone should do low carb. All right, so I have several other questions listed here, but I think I just went past about the 30-minute mark, so I don't want to go too much further. So I guess I'll probably save these other questions for next time, next time I do a Q&A, and just kind of pick up where I left off and then get some new questions from you as well. So hopefully you found some of that helpful. I know it's a little repetitive if you've been listening to my other episodes or reading my blog, but, but also repetition is often necessary for learning new concepts or just remembering new information. So from that point of view, hopefully it's helpful. I don't have any special call to action for you except at least one of the things that I mentioned. Think of what's one thing that I mentioned that you could make a small improvement in because it's generally better to start small and pick some small change or improvement that you can make. Think of just one thing that you can do today, something that you can start today to improve either your nutrition or your health and then do set a reminder or something so that you can not only start it today but try to do it tomorrow and the next day and it should be something easy something fairly simple if it's going to take you five hours to implement then don't choose that as the first thing pick something that takes about five minutes to implement and just start that today thanks for listening and i'll see you in the next episode of the fasting well podcast The Fasting Well podcast is not medical advice and does not replace the need to consult with your own medical providers.